Wide Ride is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Hurricanes ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. With game time, you can find in-app panoramic seat view photos from every section inside Hard Rock Stadium, and that goes for every pro and college team in the country. You can use it for Miami's regular season finale against Louisville, too. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm going to switch it up for y'all a little bit. You know why? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. After further review, the ruling on the field stands. The runner's forward progress is at the four-yard line. The runner's forward progress is at the four-yard line. And we will measure for a first down. So I'm not sure the ruling on the field actually stands then because they are moving the ball back. So something had changed during the play. They did see enough to change the ruling of it being down on the three to being moved back to the four. And now you're going to get a measurement. Say football is a game of inches. We'll see if Miami got enough inches to be able to extend this football game. Miami did not get the first down, and Georgia Tech is going to win on a measurement. Georgia Tech beats Miami 28-21. Wow. Just wow. I mean... Obviously disappointment for Miami because you had the opportunities down the stretch missed field goals missed opportunities The inability to get the ball in the end zone Money, it's Raul from Ayalia I am money. I can't take it no more money. This is terrible. I I, I I got so drunk last night. I got so insupportable. I drank a whole bottle of Havana Club My wife threw me out to a portal to sleep out there in the porch with my two cats wishing Yandel and I couldn't get no sleep last night, Manny. Manny, we lost so far to Gators, to Rams, to Hokies, to Guanajos, Turkeys, and now Beast. Manny, each time we lose, we lose to smaller animals. What's next? Do we have any wasasas on the schedule, Manny? Oh, my God. Thank God, Pete. It's the Panthers next week. Maybe they scare us a little bit into playing good. Rao, you know? Oh, yeah, Manny, this team, I don't know how it makes me feel, Manny. It kind of feels like Tony when he walks in and he finds out that Manolo's the one bumping fails with his sister, Manny. That's the way I feel right now. Oh, yeah, we missed three field goals, Manny. Last week, McLovin was a hero. This week, I make hate him, Manny. I make hate him. Oh, yeah. She got the Perry fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. We give up a long touchdown on a fake pong. A fake pong to a 45-year-old man. Oh yeah, his grandchildren were in the stands waving to him. Abuelito! Oh yeah, good touchdown! Can you believe this money? Oh yeah, Yogi Ate lost to the Citadel. You know what that means? That our coaching staff needs to be thrown up by the Citadel Pants. This is terrible money. This is not the new Miami. It's the new Metraya. This is not the new Miami. This is, they need melatonin, TNM. They need melatonin because they're asleep on the field. Because they're not sleeping the night before. This is so terrible, Manny. I don't want to do Halloween no more, Manny. No quiero no trick, no trees. No quiero ni trick, ni trees, Manny. All I want is a win. I just want to win, Manny. Why, Manny? Why? Manny, JR, leaving the stadium. Is there anything, anything that you give us, Kings fan, that could give us some hope? 
because right now we have no hope whatsoever. Manny Diaz, he's been out coached. He's over his head. The defense lets you down in crucial point of time of the game. The play calling is still horrific. Play calling is still horrific. Defensive calling still horrific. I have no hope anymore. I am done with this team. I don't see a bright future for us. I don't see where there's light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see it, man. So is there anything, anything that you can possibly say or tell us to give us a little bit of glimmer of hope? Because I don't think we're going to win another game the rest of the season. Bye. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. The Miami Hurricanes are now 3-4 and four following Saturday's heartbreaking overtime loss to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And it's obvious Miami fans don't know what to do with themselves at this point. Uh, before the game Saturday, there was an airplane flying banners over the stadium saying, we love Manny Diaz and we support him. He's our coach. Uh, less than 12 hours later, the temperature is much different. Some people think Manny Diaz was not the right hire for this job. They think athletic director Blake James made a mistake rushing to keep him from going to Temple, and they want to blow the whole thing up. Uh, This, of course, isn't anything new. We know Miami fans have little to no patience, but this was a really bad loss to a Georgia Tech football team that is in a real rebuild, going from Paul Johnson's triple option offense to a spread attack. Uh, The Hurricanes were not supposed to lose this game by any stretch of the imagination. You can blame kicking all you want. But Miami was an 18-point favorite in this game, and the fact that it came down to overtime and needing to get into the end zone to me is just inexplicable. Before we get into what happened yesterday and the big picture here on the podcast, I want to bring on former Hurricane Kelvin Harris, who in a lot of ways is our weekly therapist here on the show. Uh, Not only is he smarter than me and probably most of you listening, he's a former player who sees things the rest of us won't because we weren't in a college or NFL locker room. So we love having him on the show to counterbalance all of the anger and frustration. Thanks for coming on, Kelvin. Hey, no problem. Um, you know, um, I'll, I'll put my shingle out and uh, I'll send you my bill. <laughs> I want to start with something Manny Diaz said yesterday that he hadn't said all season to this point. He called what the Hurricanes are undergoing a rebuild. And it's really the first time we've heard him say that because, you know, when he took over the job, it was the new Miami. Uh, It was, hey, we're going to try to win the Coastal Division. We think we got a good team. We think we can be there. Now he's calling it a rebuild. Some people see that as sort of a cop-out answer. Kelvin, I'm going to ask you first and foremost, should we have seen this as a rebuild from the get-go or has this team simply underachieved in your eyes? Well, you know, we, we kind of underachieved. I, I'll agree with that. But I think when he says rebuild, I don't think he means as in talent. What he means is in attitude. And I got to be honest with you, I think it was worse than even he thought. Because as the defensive coordinator, there are certain things, even though you're the coordinator of the defense, you're not the head coach and you don't see the full picture. So you don't really get, and even though you're recruiting, you don't get hit with the whole thing. But now, as he is uh, the head coach, I think he sees the full spectrum of it. And to tell you the truth, there's just certain parts that I don't know if him or any other coach is going to ever be able to control and corral. They're just going to have have to run the program around those variables. 
Well, he is a rookie head coach, and I think we got to all remember that, you know, when you come in and you've never been a head coach before, there's going to be some on-the-job learning. And I think, as you mentioned, I don't think he really saw the situation for as, as bad as it was and some of the issues that this team has, even though he was on the staff uh, under Mark Richt. That said, uh, I don't think he gets a free pass on this one because this is a team that really, when you look at it, you shouldn't be losing to Georgia Tech. You should be beating that team. And of the four losses, it's by far the worst one. I mean, you could understand the loss to Florida. You could certainly understand the loss on the road at North Carolina and your second game, first road game, uh, first real road game anyway, uh, in the conference against a, a, you know, a, a well-coached Mac Brown team. And a, and a pretty good quarterback that they got there. And then, uh, you know, you look at the, the loss at home to Virginia Tech, they just built themselves a huge hole falling behind 28 nothing with a bunch of turnovers. So I, I could, you know, while those losses aren't, they don't feel good, I think they're more like, okay, I can see why you lost. This one is a little bit harder for me to digest, Kelvin, because I just think, look, man, what Jeff Collins is doing over there, I mean, losing to the Citadel 14-10, to switching an entire offense around, this is a game that they shouldn't have been in, and it, it, to me it sort of speaks to, okay, yes, you got issues with your, your, your kicking game. Yes, you got issues with um, you, sometimes you know players just not doing what they're supposed to do, like Jeff Thomas getting himself suspended, and we're going to talk about that later. But to me it, it speaks to a head coach and a coaching staff that they got to figure out how to push the right buttons to avoid losses like this because we saw what they did against Virginia – and beating a, a top 25 ranked team. Um, so it's it just when, when you have a slip back like this against a lesser opponent, opponent that's in itself is in a real, real rebuild where the entire roster is being sort of made over over there. Uh, it, to me, it's just unacceptable and inexplicable. No, the loss is definitely not acceptable. Um, but, you know, fans are going to hear what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it because mm -hmm. having friends who are coaching other areas of the country and other conferences, I think Manny is seeing why some people probably told him don't take the job. Because in my opinion, Miami and USC are probably the two most difficult jobs in the country. Because you have two private schools who've had incredible success with unrealistic fan bases and alumni and talent pools with maybe too much talent who have people who in those talent in those areas with the talent pool the people in those areas agendas are are over over exceed your program so like usc they got a u unique dynamic in that you got a whole lot of kids who don't want to stay in la because of la and they may like usc but the factors make them want to get out of you of la and other programs like what Mario's doing at Oregon offer and what, what what Chris Peterson are doing at Washington offer an alternative to the life that you live in in LA and in Miami you know the the talent base is extreme but a lot of the people that you're dealing with recruiting wise they have some financial challenges and basically 
football is a way that is going to improve the life of um, of the whole family and everyone around that family and they don't really care about rings and championships it's about life advancement so I know we as a fan base your fan I'm a fan even though I played there you know we're selling tradition championships but somebody living in ghouls is saying I'm tired of living in this two-bedroom apartment I want a house and if Antonio Brown can get a house I want one too and if certain other places offering a better deal I'm going there and yeah I still like Miami but their deal isn't as good as mine and then you get the kids the part that frustrates me the most and you know there definitely needs to be some adjustments in the culture philosophy but it's kids on the team that they just dare because they think I just need to put in three years and then I can go pro I don't even care if I go first round that's the part that just disgusts me more than anything. You just gonna show up like a blister, you know, when the work is done and try and benefit from it. So, you know, I, I agree, but it's a tough job. He's got a tough job. And whoever takes the job at UM from now on is gonna have a tough job because if you try and pull a Jimmy Johnson, they'll all leave. You, you know, these kids are softer than baby doo-doo. Not just our kids, but all these kids. So you got you to gotta pat them on the back, and you got to be nice to them. You can't yell at them. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if I want to be him right now, even though he's making a nice little piece of change. <laughs> well, yes, he's making a lot, of, a lot of money, there's no doubt. Um, and he's, you know what, you're right. It's not an easy position to be in for all the reasons you said, and I thought you, you touched on, on everything that's really important. Uh, and that I think people don't talk about enough. But again, that Georgia Tech loss, man, you and I agree. I know we talked off air, and we, you and I talk all the time on the phone. Um, this was one that's kind of those, uh, man, you shouldn't have lost that one. Um, but we'll move on. we got other topics to discuss. And I want to start off, I mean, there's so many different ways to go, but I want to start off first with the, with the 29 missed tackles in this game because we can talk about kicking, and we're going to get to kicking. But 29 missed tackles in this game, uh, by the Hurricanes, and according to Pro Football Focus, Romeo Finley had six missed tackles. Michael Pinckney had four. Greg Rousseau, Shaq Quarterman each had three missed tackles. Um, to put it into context, Miami had eight missed tackles against Virginia, nine against Virginia Tech, seven against Central Michigan, 11 against Bethune-Cookman, nine against North Carolina, and nine against Florida. And I told you earlier that when the Gators had a horrible day tackling Miami uh, in the opener, they had 19 missed tackles. This is 20 nine missed tackles i haven't seen that and you know manny talked about getting back involved with the defense and i gotta put these guys in the right mindset what in the world was going on in your mind with tackling yesterday when you watched that game and and what does it say that they missed 29 tackles it says that they didn't really respect their opponent and they never dialed in and they just kind of figured that at some point we would win the game and you know, I mean, it happens, but that's just, you know, and I think, to be honest with you, that's probably the most frustrating part to Manny because I think he went into this, he went into this thing thinking, well, I can always rely on my defense and I'll, you know, we'll figure out the offense. But 
it's the defense that's letting him down. And I think part of the dynamic is you got a young secondary that I think even he admitted to you guys a couple of times is that they're going through a transition and he's been he's seen that before. But what he hasn't seen is the linebacker play. Uh, Shaq made a read yesterday on a third and short or a fourth and short that I'm still – I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. I don't know what the hell he was looking at. I don't know if he saw Casper the Ghost or what, but he went the complete opposite direction, and they ran right in his gap. And on those options in the backfield, five guys are in the backfield, and the guy somehow gets out of that. Tackle everybody. Tackle the referee. You know, just don't – you know, I don't know. That, that just disgusts me. Well, one thing I'm going to say, I mean, obviously everybody who watched the game yesterday saw Michael Pinckney went down in the third quarter, so did Trajan Bandy, and those are two important guys on their defense. Let's not, you know, uh, let's not acknowledge that because when you lose those two guys, it hurts. But, uh, you know, one thing that I did notice was that when Pinckney went down, they didn't bring Sam Brooks Jr. in, the, the freshman linebacker who uh, is on scholarship. He's a good player. He's a kid that has a really bright future, and I had asked the coaches – this past week, hey, why isn't Sam Brooks playing more at linebacker? And instead, they went with the walk-on Ryan Ragone. And basically, Manny said, well, we're going with Ragone because he knows that position. He plays the weak side position, and Sam is only playing the middle linebacker position. I know you talk to players, and uh, I know you <laughs> you get some inside scoop from them. What's I mean, does it trouble you at all that Manny – hasn't prepared Sam Brooks to play both linebacker positions or that he didn't move Quarterman over to weak side and bring Brooks in. I mean, ultimately, Ragone, you know, he wasn't among the guy with the most missed tackles, but you'd like to think that the coaching staff is preparing its best players every single week to play and wouldn't have to rely on a walk-on, which obviously in this case they are because Zach McLeod is redshirting now. But again, it seems to me like it's certainly a subject worth discussing as far as is Miami utilizing the talent that it has, or is this more of an issue of these players simply not being ready to play? I mean, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to give Manny the benefit of the doubt in this one because I've been around enough coaches to know they don't put you on the field if they don't trust you. So the fact, because when I saw we're growing in there, um, it, it made me ask two questions. What's going on with Darren Stevenson? But then I think somebody told me he plays a lot more Mike. And then why can't Frierson, like Frierson and Finley should be able to play Will and Stryker. And so I don't know if they, you know, if they can't learn it or they're not learning it or they're not even, you know, because I, I'm just not going to believe that they wanted to put Ryan Ragone in there. I don't. I don't just. I don't believe that. I'm just saying there's got there's got to be a learning curve, and then I guess with Sam Brooks, like I told you, he was a defensive end at Northwestern, and he's gone from um, defensive end to Mike linebacker. Um. So I just I'm just gonna think that he wasn't coached up on the position. I mean I'm gonna have to ask. Uh, I'm going to have to ask a couple people, but I know that you just, your walk-on isn't the guy that you um, you want to play. And, I mean, you go to practice every day. Is Darren Stevenson still on the team? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I think these guys are on the team. They are certainly involved in special teams and in practices. And, again, I, like I said, I asked Blake Baker uh, last Monday. I said, Blake, uh, are we going to see more of Sam Brooks? Or why aren't we seeing more of him? And he said, yeah, you're going to see more of him. We just got to play him. And yet, you know, again, that you, you don't see them out there on, on game day. It's kind of one of those inexplicable things. And he's not the only one. It's not just the defensive guys. When you go out and you recruit uh, the number one fullback in the country in Realist George out of the Atlanta area, Realist can't get on the field. You got walk-ons playing in front of him in short yardage situations. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple situations here where you look at it and you say, why isn't Miami playing the best, its most – talented players or, the, or its best recruits and they're playing walk-ons uh, but let's let's move on to the next subject um, we're going to stick with defense and then we'll switch over to offense I, I want to talk about DJ Ivy because obviously everyone saw the punt uh, the fake punt that Georgia Tech ran and was able to score on it's his job clearly as a gunner to run back and punt safe coverage Manny Diaz basically acknowledged as much and yet that wasn't the only play he was beaten on he was also beaten on the 35 yard touchdown pass right before the half where i don't know if he got enough safety help on that play either way uh you know dj is one of those guys sophomore who played a little bit last year that you thought was gonna take a jump in your eyes uh kelvin knowing this team and and knowing this roster um, you know, there's a few guys on this defense that you thought would step up and play bigger roles and play better, and they haven't. Is DJ the biggest disappointment so far on defense? On the defense, um, yeah. I mean, I would probably start L Blades. I mean, I, I think I would have started L Blades from the jump after he got suspended for the first game. And um, mm -hmm. I'm interested to see who starts this week because Al has just been very consistent. And Ivy has the measurables and, you know, the look that every deep – because every, every defense wants a guy like Ivy. And, you know, to be honest with you, Blades has got that size too. But you saw it yesterday in the matchup with K.J. Osborne and uh, Trey Swilling, that length, those long arms. That's what every defensive secondary coach wants. And he kind of entices you with that. But I don't know if it's just whoever's wearing that number eight just can't get – they ain't got no get right in them right now. But the number eights are bad right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another number that's not helping out the situation, and, and that's uh, number four on offense, Jeff Thomas. He got himself suspended for this game. And Jeff obviously has a history and, you know, got kicked off the team by Mark last year after the Virginia Tech game. He's a guy we've heard has issues going to practice, showing up late to meetings, and he was suspended for another violation of team rules. I'm asking the question, I think most of us are thinking, why is Jeff Thomas still on this team if he's still running into these kind of issues? Clearly, it's a team violation. It's, it's another one of those issues. You and I talked about this off air. Um, some of that might just have to do with the fact that some younger players aren't stepping up. You go back and you look at the stats yesterday. Outside of K.J. Osborne, it didn't feel like um, some of the younger guys were, A, either getting open or creating much uh, in the way of, of, of offense for this passing game. What are your thoughts on, on Jeff and his suspension, and why do you think this team um, struggled so much in the passing game yesterday? We're not getting separation from the DBs, and Wiggins and Hightower haven't become. 
Wiggins and Hightower are supposed to be Justin Ross and T. Higgins, and they're not. Um, they don't get separation. They're not winning 50-50 balls. Um, they don't go across the middle much, although Wiggins is, is starting to separate himself from Hightower. But they don't trust Wiggins enough, you know, because, you know, he did it yesterday. He dropped balls, and, you know, he wasn't in a, you know, he just, I don't know. He's not getting there fast enough, and I think he's another kid that ran a lot of nine routes. And then with Pope, I mean, I just right now all he runs is nines, and you know maybe you can get a quick slant with him. I mean, I think the the development that they had in high school is hurting them, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, bash high school coaching in Dade County because there's some good coaches, but on the offensive side of the ball is not very complex and you see it catch up with some of these kids. Now, um, some of the other places, there's some schools that you know simple, some schools are a little bit more complicated. But uh Jeff ought to be sending um he ought to be buying dinner for Mark Pope, Wiggins and Hightower because if they had been producing more, he wouldn't be on the team, I don't think. You're right about that. One stat that was kind of ju- that jumped out to me yesterday, and, and I'll read off some of these numbers. Mark Pope, one catch for minus three yards. Uh, D. Wiggins, two catches, 62 yards, including that 50-yarder. Uh, and then Brevin Jordan, three for 21. Brevin Jordan's got to get more involved. And you told me that what you saw in coverage, there was a lot of bracketing, and, and they just weren't going to cut Brevin loose. My counter argument is, and, and this leads sort of into the next topic, Dan Enos has to figure out a way if a team's bracketing Brevin Jordan to get him involved in the passing game. Um, they they have to figure out a way where, hey, we're going to line him up at receiver. We're going to line him up at fullback. Whatever it is that they got to do to create a mismatch for him. And I thought, really, when you look back at the offensive struggles in the red zone and, and only scoring 21 points in this game, I think that's where you can criticize Dan Enos for not, not doing enough to get those guys involved. Obviously, Cameron Harris had a much better day running the ball, which was encouraging, uh, especially when you lose a guy like uh, DJ Dallas early to a knee injury. But again, um, Miami probably should have run the ball a lot more against Georgia Tech, who's one of the worst running defenses in the country, and they should have figured out a way to get Brevin Jordan involved in the passing game. I also didn't had no idea what Dan Enos was thinking on that first and goal at the 10, running a double reverse. I know you agree with me on that. Was this Enos' worst game as a play caller, and how much heat does he deserve for what happened yesterday? Well, in the red zone, I think, um, yeah, he got a little too cute. But outside of the red zone, he really, you know, he really went that bad. I mean, um, a lot of these problems are execution problems. Um, I, I hate to say this because this might be going a little off topic, but that pass to Wiggins, I'm, I'm I'm happy that he caught it, but like we've called that a lot. I just think that you know Nikosi completed it. You know he was able to make the right throw. I don't know if the other kid would have made that throw, and I think he's not in rhythm because he's kind of running. I think two different playbooks. You know what I mean? Because if you notice, mm-hmm. he called uh, Nikosi on runs, and when Nikosi got hurt, that kind of took some of the plays out of the playbook and you know you got a lot of variables going in you you know yesterday the offensive line 
took a step forward with pass protection and run blocking. So this is the first game where I think he felt he could open it up a little bit and not worry about his quarterback getting uh, physically assaulted. But in the red zone, I thought he just got way too cute. Um, those two plays, those reverses, they stick out like a sore thumb. And there's just, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, um, I'll give him credit, but on when he does good, but that just, you can't do that. You, you know, maybe I think that's where, you know, this guy's the king of the play action pass. I think that's where he should have used a play action pass or, uh, a screen or like, um, you were saying about using Brevin Jordan, go back to that play that you used, um, to score the touchdown with Brevin Jordan, where you ran the tight end delay, you know, or maybe even steal a play that Virginia Tech uses us when you run the tight end across the field. The O, what they call it, the O, you know, the O shit screen. You know, but don't that double reverse. You know, when you're in the red zone, everything is constricted and you just don't have that type of time to do that. All right, we want to wrap up the show here because we're getting close to the end. Uh, let's talk about the kicking situation because you and I had an interesting debate off air about this, and, and I want to bring it in as a topic. Miami rotated, obviously, yesterday between Turner Davidson and Bubba Baxa uh, on those three missed field goals from, I think it was 35, 27, and 25, the 25-yarder being blocked. It's sort of a continuation of what we were talking about with Enos. I, I, the problem I had on that last drive is they were clearly playing for the field goal instead of trying to go into the end zone. And to me, knowing that you have a situation having missed two field goals on that last drive. I'm trying my hardest to get into the end zone and I'm taking shots. I know they threw that one pass to KJ Osborne that fell incomplete, but to me, uh, they were trying to set up in the middle of the field to, to kick a field goal and they, and they get the kicker a good kick, which is fine. But again, when you, when you've got two missed field goals already, I think, Hey, we got to really score a touchdown here to win the game. Besides that, um, my issue with the kicking and, and this is sort of an interesting debate to begin with. Why do teams not recruit two or three scholarship kickers instead of just one? Um, I think if you look at this situation with Miami, uh, you know, obviously they signed Bubba Bax a year ago. He has a strong leg. There's a reason you took him. And right now he's just struggling mentally to, to kick balls. But it's crazy that they didn't, that there's nobody else available besides a walk on. And you brought up an interesting point off air about why it's maybe difficult for Miami to get quality walk-ons at the kicker position. Yeah, um, well, Mark Rick brought it up yesterday at halftime. He said, you know, with the tuition, um, you know, it's expensive to go to UM, so kickers don't get scholarships. Kickers are sort of like how baseball players are. Most baseball, pro, you know, baseball programs only get 11 and a half scholarships, 12 at the most, and they have to split those up. Well, what's been hurting our baseball program over the last few years is we, we go out and recruit guys and give them scholarships, you know, you know, four or five really good guys, but uh, they go in the draft. And so now you got to depend on getting guys that want to go there that can pay to go there. And it's the same thing with kickers. But programs just don't give – you can't waste – you don't have a lot of – you know, it may sound crazy, but you just can't waste a scholarship on having three kickers. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, it is how it is. I mean, I know it sounds good, but when you're crunching those numbers, you can't you can't have three kickers. I mean, if that was the case, you see two kickers in the NFL. Like, well, that guy's not working. We're just getting another one. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. 
Well, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Manny addresses this because obviously uh, they went out and they got Lewis Headley, who's done an absolutely phenomenal job punting. He's actually 15th right now in, in punting average uh, among FBS punters. I think he had a 68-yarder yesterday. Uh, they were able to solve their, their punting problem, but uh, this kicking problem has to be resolved. Kelvin, I appreciate you coming on with me, man, and uh, always being available to us. You have some excellent perspective being a guy who's been in a locker room uh, at the pro and college level, and I think there's great value in, in everything that you that you see and say uh, about this hurricane situation. Yeah, oh, no problem. I, I actually, one more thing, I'd actually like to see if Lewis Headley could kick. We've asked. You've asked? We have, and he ha- he he does not kick field goals. That's something he hasn't worked on. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, at this point you try, and then I know we don't have a men's soccer team, but honestly, um, whoever has the best leg on the women's soccer team, maybe you give that a try too. I mean, because that kid looks like his brain is shot, and I don't know. You can't go through the rest of the season going for two after touchdowns and going forward on fourth down inside the red zone. You've got to kick some field goals. Yep, completely agree. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Wide Right Podcast. For Kelvin Harris, my producer, Mike Zimmerman, we'll be back on Thursday to preview the Pittsburgh game. A must-win game, really, when you think about the, the Hurricanes and their bowl hopes. We'll talk to you then. Kickoff team ready to eat. First two, knock them out. Dinner is on me. DJ Dallas with the shakes. Better press on them brakes. Osborne on that fade. Cut through the defense like a blade.